You go back to what my dad did 20 years, 18 years ago. Retail at that time, right? Like your brick and mortar business had their own customer base and they would have, you know, traffic coming on the road and they would basically attract customers that way. I think it's it's going into owning your own particular customer cohort. Monday, Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope you guys have had a great week. This is Dalton back with another episode of The Thinking Project. But before I get into that, Episode 200 is coming up. I'm trying to gather ideas. So if you have one, you want to see something, there's a guest you want to see, there's a there's an event or something special you want me to do, I'd love to hear from you guys and go over all of those. So let me know. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, all at Dalton K. Jensen. Shoot me your ideas. Or you can email me, Dalton at DaltonKJensen.com. Make sure that you're following the newsletter and that you're subscribed to the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. And hey, if you're feeling uh, a little generous and you've listened to this podcast and you haven't left a review on iTunes, would you do that? It would help me out a ton. So with all that being said, let me introduce Ravi Kirani, who is the owner of My Sutro. And he has an amazing story, an amazing company doing awesome things in water treatment, mostly for residential and commercial places. But he's going to get into like water treatment for the world. And he's got an amazing story and some amazing goals that you really won't want to miss out on. So without further ado, Ravi Kirani, thank you guys so much for listening. And don't forget to share this with your friends. Welcome, everybody. This is Don Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. Okay, we're rolling, Ravi. Thanks for joining me, my friend. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, we met through we met through Jari, and uh, and Jari's actually been on my podcast before. It, he, we had a lot of fun, and I went on his, and uh, we had a ton of fun. But um, but I'm really glad that we met. You own a company called My Sutro, which is for which is for pools. Now I'm curious. Before we talk about that, is that the first? Is this your first big? entrepreneurial venture or is this one of many i feel like i've kind of always been st stuck in kind of around entrepreneurship you know there's like 99 percent failed ventures this is this i would say is the probably the most successful one i mean that that, that i've had um yeah. but in the past i had a few that had been picked up um i used to be in the impact investing market and we basically okay. created like a kind of kind of like a crunch base for impact called impact space um, wow. the team is actually still there and they, um, work with a company called impact alpha run by, um, David bank. And so oh, cool. that's like still running actually really, really well. And <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then my dad's kind of always been in entrepreneurship. So I was always around, you know, working actually at the pool store that my dad had, um, yeah. you know, always coming up with small little things or figuring out how to kind of fix, fix one thing or the other. <laughs> I read that you, uh, that's kind of where the idea for my sutro came from was you, you were working around your dad's pool shop. Tell, tell us that story. Cause that's really fun. Yeah. So, you know, imagine the, the sunny, sunny streets of Southern California. Um, <laughs> dad had a chain of pool and spa supply stores and I grew up right. Doing everything from acid washes to, um, you know, installing pumps to cleaning pools and, the, the the idea for Sutro kind of, you know, initially came about of how do I take everything I used to do at my dad's pool store and basically package it inside of a robot. 
Um, that's <laughs> targeting the uh, the actual pool industry. Oh wow! Um, so now tell everybody what Sutro is and and how that kind of works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sutro um, is basically a robot that floats in your swimming pool. It um, measures your pH, free chlorine, alkalinity. Right, those like those little test kit that you have. Um, we've basically taken that test kit, shoved it inside of a robot, and then we have an application that tells you exactly what chemicals to put in and when. Um, and so it's a pretty pretty simple concept. It just basically automates the existing process of you testing your water. That's pretty sweet. And do you sell the chemicals too? We do not sell the chemicals. Um, one thing I learned from being at my dad's uh, pool and spa supply store is the revenues that are made at the pool store are primarily done through actually chemical um, and chemical sales. And okay. so we didn't want to come in and, you know, Silicon Valley disruption terms and and break the entire industry down. So we wanted to work within the confines and also help dealers and the service technicians that already build the the infrastructure for the for the pool and spa market. We are also brought to you guys by Monarch Social. Now, Monarch Social isn't just another social media marketing company because they're going to take care of you on all your digital marketing fronts from SEO to beautifully designed websites to custom videography. And if you want to know more about that, you got to check out the video they did for me uh, on the Thinking Project Facebook group um, because it was absolutely phenomenal. They absolutely killed it. Morgan and his team take really good care of you. They walk you through every step of the process and the communication is on point. So if you need a custom video, a beautifully designed website, if you need uh, custom social media ad campaigns, Monarch Socials, where it's at. They also have a podcast they release every Friday where they bring you a ton of value. So check them out, monarchsocialbrand.com, or you can find them wherever uh, you're on social media because they're probably there too. So check them out, monarchsocialbrand.com and get your digital marketing rolling. Oh, okay, cool. So so it's kind of like a partnership. So you work with, um, you work with like the distributors and things like that. So they you don't want to infringe on what they're selling. So you kind of work together. Is that kind of the idea behind that? Yeah, exactly. So like, imagine your you know neighborhood pool and spa supply store, right? You're in Austin, Austin or Los Angeles. Um, yeah. Your dad's pool store, Magnolia Pool and Spa Supplies. And what we do is we basically built kind of a dual sided platform. Right? Think of it as like. Uber, there's the drivers and then there's the yeah. there's the riders. Um, there's the customers that obviously have swimming pools. And then what we yeah. do is we have a dealer portal, which allows um, swimming pool dealers and pool stores to better treat their chemicals with the data from the actual Sutro devices in their swimming pool. So oh, wow. yeah, kind of this two-sided platform. Oh, wow. That's really awesome. Um, so now tell, tell us the story of how you, I mean, how your dad got into to the pool and pool supply, pool and spa supply game, because this is what I always find fascinating. And this is kind of what, you know, we talked about before the podcast, which is the thesis of the podcast is like, you have these, you know, these one-off industries that you never think, you know, like you wouldn't think that in today's like hustle culture or anything like that. Like I'm going to go sell pool supply stores. So, but it's a really awesome opportunity. Like I've seen your store, you guys are crushing it. How did it, how did this come to be? Like, where, where did the idea come from? Yeah. So kind of, um, two interesting threads there. So my dad, uh, my, my parents, um, are both immigrants from India and they came here in the, in the eighties. Um, my dad is actually, I think has a master's in chemistry, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. um, so he came to the, to the U S you know, back in the eighties and 
couldn't really find a job. And so he was basically, he was a pool boy, right? He was, he was running around, running pools, cleaning them. Um, at, at one point in time, I think he entered like a pool store at the time in Riverside, California. And I think, I think the store owners wanted to take like a lunch break and they're like, Hey, Harry, come back here. Can you just like manage the front of the shop for like an hour? We'll be back from our lunch break. Um, just, you know, test water, sell the, sell the, sell the chemicals to the customers. You know that, you know, the shtick. Yeah. 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 And so he was over there and obviously he was a, he was a trained chemist. And so when these customers would come in, he was like testing the water, right? I mean, he like knew what he was talking about. And so I think like a week or two later, some of these return customers came back and the owners called him up and they were like, Hey, Harry, like, what did you, what did you do when you were at the (laughs) store? How do you you know so much about chemistry that you're able to do this? And he's like, well, funny story. I'm actually a master's in chemistry. And they're like, what are you doing out there in the, you know, service (laughs) and pools? You should be back here in the store. Let's like, let's help you do that. From that, he grew that, that one store to 30 stores back in the day. He's since retired. But um, yeah, I grew up through high school with, you know, my life of, of, of kind of him growing up this pool store chain. And so that was kind of the, you know, first part of, of, you know, him and building out this pool store side of thing. And then the kind of second thread that actually lent me to first build the technology was when I actually used to run a small VC fund in India. Um, so I was, I was helping village capital out, which is an impact investing fund. And part of the thesis was to invest in companies who made products for people who earned less than $2 a day. Right. So this is kind of this like bottom of the pyramid people who, are, who live in extreme poverty. Um, and so the business models become really, really interesting when you, when you have economics like that. And a lot of the deal flow that we saw was around water filtration, but nobody was doing anything in water sensing. Right. So if you're going to fix the water through filtration, you kind of have to know how to sense it. You have to know what's wrong with it. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of where this idea for the, for the water sensor first came about. Um, stupidest thing a startup can ever do is trying to sell to the Indian government. You'll like <laughs> cash by the time you actually, you know, fit, actually sell one device. And so yeah. coming back to the U S those two threads kind of hit each other. And I'm like, well, let's switch the model around. Let's sell to wealthier pool owners. Initially um, the sensor structure overall is the same. And then the vision for the company is still remains, right? We do want to eventually go into agriculture, food and beverage, drinking water, um, all those applications I looked at when I was in India. Oh, wow. Okay. So how does this apply to those industries? Like, um, like, yeah, like expound a little more on your vision. Cause that's really cool. Yeah. So water, water and water within applications is actually a really interesting process additive. Let's call it that. Right. Like, so let's take a really simple example. If you're in the Central Valley in California and you're growing, let's say, tomatoes, um, usually what you'll do is you'll 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 obviously plant the tomatoes, um, and they have a certain growing cycle, right? So they'll have like a nine month yeah. cycle. I don't know cycles, but not, let's just say it's nine months. Um, what happens at that particular point in time is you need to water the tomatoes. You need to at certain points in its life stages, you need to give it more or less nutrients, more phosphates, more nitrates, um, whatever the fertilizers are. And so water in many times is used as a transfer agent to actually get those nutrients into the soil, right? So in that sense, if you understood the quality of water when you're growing your tomatoes, you could more efficiently grow tomatoes and make less waste. Um, 
if you have drinking water, right? Drinking water travels through the pipes. This issue in Flint, Michigan, with oh, uh, you know the lead in the drinking water, um, could would should have been solved through sensing devices, right? And I think we didn't find it out until it actually hit the point of consumption because the stream was changed um, or the source was changed upstream. And yeah. so, if you look at where water is used in the majority of applications around the world, where like the majority of it is is in industrial settings, it's in drinking water, it's in agriculture, um, it's in cooling our buildings, right? Cooling water towers use a lot of water. Yeah. Um, and so the way that I look at swimming pools is it's a niche of a niche of a niche. It's, it's, it's a way for us to like look and build this initial idea and seed it within the larger realm of what actually we want to do in the future. Wow. So, so right now the pool kind of industry is just is it like your kind of proving grounds in a sense exactly. to kind of help yeah. get everything ready to go. And then you're going to, and so what does that, so what does that look like? Is the model the same? Are you, you know, are you planning on putting robots like in, in the systems to have that report back then? Yes and no. I mean, I think, you know, okay. like manifestations or execution of it could be different, right? It could, sure. it won't be a floating robot in like a big tube that's under the ground. <laughs> maybe maybe you know there's one that's in line like it's actually baked into the pipe itself oh wow uh, there's obviously you know the pool one that actually floats in the water um we could take samples you know and pull them out and then run them off site um there's kind of multiple ways that we can we can solve that problem it's not yeah i don't think it always has to be a bit floating yeah. necessarily in the water that's cool when you said when you said like bake it into the pipe i was like that would be cool yeah that's yeah, one cool. of the things we are actually working on is how do you do that in the pool industry too, right? Because oh yeah, wow, pool pool pumps are mini water circulation systems. They're a very similar circulation system to the one that you'd have in drinking water. And yeah. so again, back to that testing ground analogy, we are you know seeing how we can push and pull the buttons and pull up and down the levers in the pool industry to see how that actually will relate to stuff that we're doing outside. Yeah. So what kind of uh, thought process did you go through and what kind of journey did you go through personally to, cause you mentioned that initially the idea was the drinking water and everything like that, but then you had to, you had to pivot and switch. And I'm curious, like what sparked that and what was your kind of like your thought process going through that? What made you think that that was the right move? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it, it honestly just breaks down to needs, right? Yeah. Like, if the sales cycle is so long and being in India when I was, I just don't think we could have survived that as a company. Right. And so right, right. it was like, how do we get this deployed as quick as possible with the least amount of capital in a market that can afford us the most amount of capital? <laughs> so that's kind of, that was the equation. And then, you know, obviously my dad owning pool and spa supply chains made it all the more, um, you know, interesting to actually go into the pool and spa industry. Yeah. You had all those connections ready to go and yeah. Yeah. And it was, and it was pretty awesome. So what did people, uh, I mean, what do they, what do they think when you have this idea? Is it a, is it, a, I mean, you guys are doing really well, but is it, um, is it well accepted in the pool industry or is that kind of, cause I know like people sometimes they get hired to come out and test your pool, right? Yeah. 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 So we actually support those people. Those are pool, pool service technicians. Um, okay. we have a program actually for them. So kind of backing up for a second, right? If you look at the U.S. pool and spa industry, um, around 12% of U.S. households 
have a recreational form of water in their backyard. That's a pool or a spa. Um, oh, wow. So around, you know, 14 to 15 million pools and spas actually in the, in the U.S. market. Yeah. Uh, out of that, 10% of that market actually is serviced by these pool service technicians, these pool boys, right? Um, and also pool yeah. girls, actually. <laughs> yeah. And then 95% of them, or sorry, um, what did I say? 10%, 15%, yeah. sorry. 15% are actually serviced by pool service technicians. 85% are um, do-it-yourselfers, DIYers, right? So they'll yeah. go to a pool store, they'll go to a Home Depot, they'll go to a Walmart, test their own water, pick up their own chemicals. Yeah. If you zoom into this 85%, that's our, that's our major market, right? It's to help people that manage their own bodies of water to have safe drinking water or safe swimming water in their backyards mm -hmm. to actually swim in. Um, and, you know, like I said, we also do help the 10% or the 15% of those pool service technicians, because imagine, you know, Joe's pool and spa service. He wakes up on a Monday morning, looks at his cell phone, and he can scroll through the hundred pools that he services to know exactly what pools to go into and not. And that's Sutro powering that oh. and what to do. Right. So he can now be more efficient with his, with his route. So he doesn't spend as much time just blindly driving around in circles, trying to treat all hundred pools. So yeah, for those guys too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to do that? I would yeah. imagine that it gets kind of frustrating. <laughs> And, it gets and kind of frustrating when you like get to a pool and you don't need to do anything to it. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then the worst thing is the pool that you didn't go to is the one that's green. And, you know, <laughs> right. maybe yeah. customer, what's wrong? Well, you didn't come out. My pool's green. And it's like, well, I didn't, I didn't know. Right. So, <laughs> so that's really cool. So um, now you, you mentioned that uh, Sutra wasn't the first. So what was the, what would you consider your official start of entrepreneurship? Like, what was your first like for you start? Like I, I think I would probably. It's kind of funny in like in like high school. Um, okay. Yeah. We like started the ping pong club. I think like that was my like first foray at like entrepreneurship. <laughs> right. Starting a starting okay. a club school, recruiting members. You know, building out marketing and messaging. Um. And then after that, actually, I started an organization in undergrad called um, ISAGI, International Service and Global Impact. And what we did with that program was we would partner with the study abroad students, right, that were already going out from university to study in Brazil or Peru or India. Um, and what we would do is we would actually have like a matchmaking program that paired them with volunteering efforts in the country that they were living in. Oh, wow. Um, and so we did, we actually launched two projects while I was there, one in Peru that was connecting via technology people in the village and the cities. And then the second one was in Brazil, where we were working with an orphanage to actually kind of build a mobile med medical clinic for the orphanage. Um, and so, yeah. So those were kind of the two, the two projects I would, you know, call as my foray to <laughs> entrepreneurship. Wow. So, so walk me through that, that first one, you said, for, it was for foreign exchange or excuse me, right. It was that right. Foreign exchange students basically yeah. and partnering them up with. Um, so how did that all come about? We just, I mean, honestly, so like, what was need. the idea? Yeah. The idea. Yeah. What was the need? What, what was the problem? Yeah. It's like they're, the, you know, these students are out there studying 
And yeah. there's people that obviously need, you know, assistance when they're, when they're working with these nonprofit projects or whatever, um, sort of, you know, volunteering projects that they had. <laughs> yeah. And so this, this, this matchmaking allowed us to basically get more resources to these projects to help them. Um, and then the students also felt good because now they were able to actively, you know, participate in this country that they're studying in, um, you know, outside of the partying that they're already doing, they can also yeah. on a weekend do a nice thing. And so uh, <laughs> right. that was kind of the, uh, that was kind of the impetus of it. Oh, that's awesome. Holy cow. Well, that's a really cool, um, that's a really cool opportunity. Uh, and then tell me more about the, uh, the mobile medical clinic in Brazil. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. So that was a, a, that was probably one of the projects I like remembered the most. Um, it was in a small city in I think like the Northern part of Brazil called Fortaleza. Uh-huh. Uh, and we basically worked at an all girls orphanage there. Um, and, and these girls had actually been sold into, into basically sex slavery um, oh, for geez. like lack of a better term or a worse term. And they were, oh my gosh, these girls were like eight years old, 12 years old, 15. They were like really, really young. Oh, wow. And so they just, you know, lived in this, in the city in Fortaleza outside the city um, limits. And what they really lacked was actually medical care, right? In this particular area and this orphanage in particular. And so what we did was we just brought kind of basic medical needs, you know, like vaccines, um, you know, some just simple medicines when people got sick. So that, you know, wow. these, these kind of issues wouldn't spiral out of control from like a medical standpoint. And so, wow. uh, yeah, that was like what we, that was that project. Wow. That's insane. So how did you, I mean, how did you get involved with all of these different, um, kind of organizations? Was this through networking or did you, was it part of like your undergrad or how did that all come about? No, my, my undergrad's actually in mechanical engineering with a minor okay. in, like a minor in fluid dynamics. So I definitely am not a, not a humanitarian or, 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 or an MPA or I didn't study any of that. Yeah. 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 I was, I was in the school of engineering. So, um, oh, that's awesome. so how did you get involved? What, what, what was, what was that process like? Um, you know, we found the nonprofits just by creating the network. Like, honestly, we, yeah. we created this platform and we kind of, did the other side of it. And we're like, Hey, look, we have students in these particular geographies. If you have projects, please submit them. Right. And so we also worked with um, a lot of the professors in the, in, in the college, we worked with the associated student body. And so we just really tried to like pull together as much as we could to make sure that we had the right pairing of projects to students. Oh, wow. That's, in, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. And so now, so Q Sutro, which is now, your project and, and everything you have going on. Um, and is the, and that's how you met it. Now, how did you meet? Um, how did you meet Jari? I met Jari through, through Sam Parr actually. Um, so Sam Parr used to be at the founder of Dojo, um, okay. in San Francisco, and he's the founder of the hustle. If you've heard of the hustle. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sam Parr. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, we, I met, I met Jari through, um, uh, Sean Puri's course. Oh yeah, yeah, course. yeah. Okay. So same, same people of the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's where I met Jari, and he actually interviewed me for his book, The Entrepreneur's Ethos, that he first started uh, writing. I think it was like five years ago. Yeah, great. And since then, we've just we've kind of been friends. He helped out with Sutro. Um, I'm I'm kind of helping him out with this new brand story guide and product market fit product that we're looking at. But um, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, that's how I met Jari. Yeah, we're gonna have to have both of you on one day to talk about the 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 project you guys have going on right now. But could you could you tell us a little more about that? The the product it's a product market fit kind of like story to help helping business owners tell the story, right? Yeah. So it it initially seeds at basically humans want to like understand and tell stories, right? We are, we are storytelling creatures at, yeah. at, at the base of our, of our kind of existence, right? <laughs> yeah, um, of course. That's, that's why we dream. That's why we talk. That's why we buy particular products. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think in that particular thing as an essence, what, what we want to do is obviously companies are nothing but glorified stories, right? They're stories that solve problems that people have, right? Sutro is right. a story. Right. Um, and Sutro is a story that solves a particular problem. Yeah. And so basically what the brand story guide is, is it's a kind of three-part module, right? The first part is basically what we call the brand story guide. And the brand story guide builds a narrative for your for your company as a story, right? So how do you turn your company into a story is the best way to think about the brand story guide. Yeah. What we have is actually, once you start executing that story, we have what's called the product market fit which was um, best used by Rahul Vora from Superhuman. And what that does is it's, it's continuous iteration and questioning to make sure that you're building the right thing for the right demographic based off of that story that we first came up with. Yeah. And then the kind of third piece about this is PLG or product-led growth, which is as you're using the product market fit and the brand story guide, the storytelling and the product building, are you building the right product to make sure that you're building it sticky enough? And so um, those three things kind of combined together is like a three module part series on the best, you know, on the way to kind of build your company through a storytelling lens. And so that's kind of a, that's kind of what we're working on now. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, product led growth, that's like a buzzword in, in private equity and venture capital, right? Yeah. Everybody wants to find, everybody wants to find the the next product led, uh, you know, company, right? Product led growth company. Yeah. So but walk us through like what what makes a company product led growth or what or what makes growth product led? Yeah, so I, I think it's actually best to start off with the product market fit um, survey. Okay. So um, after so like the way that Rahul Vora actually explains this, we traditionally you'll see an NPS and then net, net promoter score, right? Yeah. The way that the product market fit is structured is the first question is how disappointed would you be? if you could no longer have this product, right? Oh, what that basically yeah. means is it, is it flips the decision to be like, if I was to pull this away from you, how disappointed would you be? Like, yeah. would you be very disappointed, somewhat disappointed or not disappointed? If you're very disappointed, you're probably like this, this, this product inherently solves a need for you. Right. And if I pull it yeah. away, from you, it's like chopping off your right arm. Right. I'll be, I'd be very disappointed if I didn't have my right arm. Right. Like something that, that you're so dependent on. Um, like my cell phone, right? I, I would probably be very disappointed if you took that away from me. Um, <laughs> sure, we all and, would. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then and then there's products that you would not be or you'd be somewhat disappointed. Um, the next question that we ask is basically what are we what are we doing right? Right? Like what do you what do you like about the product? And those are things, you know, that we're doing well, which means that that yeah. actually ties up into the into the marketing of the product to make sure that we do those things consistently well. Um the next product is what the next question is, what could we do better? Right. Obviously. So this now goes into um, improvements on the way that we can actually fix the product. And the last question is, how would you define the ideal, the ideal Sutro user? Or like, how would you define a user that used this product? 
Um, when you ask that question nine times out of 10, you're just going to describe yourself, right? So now what that does is it builds a persona for the people that are using your product. And what you start to do is you self-select for people that are going to be very disappointed, right? So out of the core of people said that they would be very disappointed, you then make sure that you fix the things that they, that they think are broken because that's what's going to get more of those people to buy it. And the things that they said that they're doing really well, you make sure to continue to do that or, or build on top of it to make sure that it's even more stickier. And the thing that they, that they use to define themselves goes to your digital marketing team so that you can build Facebook ads that uses the persona analysis to properly actually aggregate what that, what that person looks like in a certain sense. Mm. Um, and that's how you build product-led growth. Because then if you input those features into your product, um, the PM fit survey, the product market fit survey is what's providing the feedback for the product-led growth to make it even more and more sticky so people keep driving into, into that product. Yeah, holy cow. You brought up Facebook and I might go off on a little tangent here, but um, man, Facebook's been wild the last few weeks, huh? In and like what ways? With like ads and iOS stuff or... Like, ads, iOS, uh, yeah. what Peter Thiel just stepped down, right? Yeah. He's out. Uh, they just reported um, their their forecasted earnings came in lower mm-hmm. or their actual earnings came in lower than forecasting. And I'm just, and so now everybody's got the butt. And then there's some like Twitter, like uh, delete Facebook, but that comes up on Twitter like every six months or something like that. Yeah, yeah I'm not yeah. too worried about that, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I'm just like, what, what's kind of the future of advertising? I'm curious to hear your thoughts, especially as like a business owner and somebody who's kind of um, expanding into like helping other business owners work this out. But like, I read an interesting thread the other day, kind of about the future of like maybe social media ads and things like that. But I'm curious, is this something you've thought about or, or uh, have talked about with anybody in your circle? Yeah. I mean, I think the best way to answer that question is to go back to the basics, right? If you, if you go back to what my dad did, 20 years, 18 years ago, retail at that time, right? Like your brick and mortar business had their own customer base and they would have, you know, traffic coming on the road and they would basically attract customers that way. All that to say, yeah. I'm not suggesting that we open up a bunch of brick and mortar stores and you know, <laughs> like actually take, take road traffic. I think it's, it's going into owning your own particular customer cohort, right? Yeah. Top of funnel. I get it. Like, where are you going to get those customers from the very beginning? Cause Facebook was a great top of funnel acquisition strategy. Yeah. I just, you have to get like innovative of how you're going to actually target your customers. And in our case, that goes back to our pool stores, right? We want to make life so easy for pool stores and make their business so strong that they will eventually get Sutros into their end customers because we drive traffic back to that pool store or yeah. we want to service technicians because those pool boys will, will, will deploy a hundred Sutros into their hundred pools and that gets more Sutros deployed. Yeah. Uh, and that's happening through trade organizations, right? That's happening through, um, being in like pool and spa magazines. And so I think for, for every single product that's out there, there's probably an alternate sales method. That's not Facebook. Right. I think like, yeah, we depended a lot on Facebook, but we just have to think outside the box now of how are we going to actually acquire users and make, make friends, family, right. That's like, that's, yeah, what yeah. that's like really what you're trying to do. Yeah. Because it's just, yeah, it seems to me like, cause when I think of like social media, it's, it's changed a ton. Like, I think really the only thing left like that you can really organically build on is maybe LinkedIn and TikTok. Well, but because TikTok's just the wild west, they don't they don't care. Yeah. Right? There's there's no yeah. algorithm yeah. on that thing, man, anymore anyway. 
you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, so, and LinkedIn is kind of losing that like LinkedIn a couple of years ago was, was probably where TikTok is right now. Um, but it's just curious because now I feel like some of these social media platforms are kind of turning into more of like, you know, just put content up. Like Instagram's a great example. Like I don't really know a lot of people who advertise on Instagram other than just simply through like content creation. Right. And trying to like build an audience, which is by the way, nothing wrong with that, but it's kind of turn. It's kind of defeating what, what it used to be, which is like Facebook, which is like ads. And I mean, whole industries are made off of capitalizing on Facebook ads. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know where that's going anymore, though. Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can find a lot of promise in groups, right? A lot of people are going to Facebook groups, um, yeah, yeah, these yeah. kind of curated places that people can 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 congregate digitally. Yeah. Um, you know, I think like with 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 the kind of older part of our market, um, phone is really good with us, right? Like we can go to the white pages and get phone numbers yeah. and honestly, like <laughs> call up people and say, hey, like, look, we know you have a swimming pool. Would you be interested in? a sutro. Um, oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like boots on the ground, like, you know, hard work, quote unquote, you're not like sitting there with a digital media buyer that can spray and spray sure. ads everywhere. But um, yeah. maybe you tie a phone strategy with Facebook retargeting, given a group with like an email, right? Like, I think there's ways to massage with like omni-channel. That's not just like, let's go ahead and throw a million bucks into Facebook and just like, you know, put a bunch of ads down. Happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay. And how does yeah. that play out in your story brand with, with business owners who are, who are creating a story? Um, I mean, you kind of mentioned that's kind of towards the end when you've got the story, you've got the product market fit, you got the product all ready to go. Um, but, but how do you kind of mold in advertising or like these, these Facebook ads in with the story? Yeah. So that's um, part of actually the uh, part of the brand story guide as well. Okay. Um, so if you think about the brand story guide and you and your user and your user journey, you start off not knowing something and then you start off like becoming very familiar and then buying it. Right. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's multiple ways that, um, you know, these like Facebook groups or an email or a phone or a phone call can touch you in various different ways to like get you to actually be um, interested in the product. And so we kind of have these multiple phases in the brand story guide the same way that you would have in a story, right? You would have the exposition, you'd have the climax, and then you'd have like the kind of conclusion. Um, and that's the same journey that you're taking as a user through an actual brand story guide process of your company. Um, so let's take Sutra, for example, right? If you don't know what the Sutra is to begin with, we probably know that you have a swimming pool at the very least, right? Because you're yeah. a user. Um, out of that, I have to first convince you that the problem that you have is a problem that you have. And that's part of, again, <laughs> the step one of the brand story guide of like, testing your pool really sucks. Like having a green pool is horrible. Like, don't you hate yeah. it when your second birthday party is coming up and your wife yells at you because you like had a green pool. Like that's not fun. Um, <laughs> and so like these sorts of things is like the first exposition part of the story. Yeah. Once you come into the funnel, we obviously have like, you know, a typical email drip funnel that tells you, you know, the value proposition. Then you introduce the product and all of that stuff is what I call North of buy, right? North of the buy button. Once I convince you to, to basically purchase the product, you're what I call south of buy, right? That's where like product-led growth, that's where the entire product experience comes in. That's where we have to like invest in engagement and retention and yeah. not just, and like not just acquisition. Right. Um, 
And so I call everybody north of by somebody that's a friend and I call everybody that's south of by somebody that's family. Right. And so how do you in the family? Um, And so that's the same, the same entire thing all taken through the lens of storytelling, basically. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. And that's a really good point because I, I like that. How do you turn friends into family? Because now with like companies and, and it's kind of shifting back. Isn't it crazy how we go full circle with all of this stuff? Like, like with your, like with your father, right? Starts in these small brick and mortar places. And your goal in that time is to own the block, right? Like own your yeah. neighborhood. Like when I was in, I worked in a dealership in a, in a, in a suburb town, car dealership. And mm-hmm. that was our whole thing. It was like, we were in Salt Lake city, but our only goal like the way that we could win overall in Honda's eyes, we we found out is if we owned our backyard, that's what we would say, right? Like own our backyard. So we really invested in like, nobody should go past a certain point, right? Past city lines to buy a mm-hmm. Honda. And, yeah. and so you're like creating, how do you create a community in there? And then it's funny, right? Then, then we get like all crazy and digital. And now the world is our neighbor right? And with social media. And now we're coming back. It's groups, it's discourse yes. <laughs> full of it's people that it's by, it's by local, right? Like shop from your yeah. neighborhood store, you know, like it's, right. it's, it's a lot of fun now. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so now you're kind of like, it went, it went all the way out and now it's all the way back in. And, and I think it's yeah. just funny. Like, <laughs> like how can we use social media so that everybody in our backyard stays in our backyard? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, How do yeah. we turn friends into family? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that's, you know, next door, for example, that's a great, you know, potential oh, yeah. like market today. Right. So, um, Oh, like the next door app. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, you know, as, as, as much as like Facebook is, you know, quote unquote a problem, yeah. I think the issue that it's having is also an opportunity to kind of re relayer the playing field, right? Or re-level, re-level the playing field. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and it's kind of like a a nice correction. Yeah. If it's, if it, if to be honest, like, it's like, all right, yeah, everybody's freaking out. And like, now we're just like, this is, we're getting back to normal, kind of back to baseline because this is what it was for to begin with. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just to create another community and create a group. Yeah. Like for my podcast, that's what I did. I was like, I try to get it out to everybody. And then I was like, no, you know what? Let's, how about we just like create a community? How about we just create a little group and get everybody who's been on in the same room? And you know what I mean? And we just like, you know, just us. Right. Uh, And then everybody can come as they want. And uh, it's just funny. Like it reminds me of, of Gary V's, a few of his books, like he wrote like the thank you economy. And, and that was kind of his big push there was like this idea that it's come full circle. So that's really yeah, fun. Entirely. Yep. <laughs> so what do you look for when you're, when you're teaching a business, how to tell its story, where do you start? Um, so initially it actually, a lot of these companies will have websites. So what, what Jari sure. has actually developed is this tool that'll basically, so there's two tools. There's one that actually asks the people in the company um, what the, what the kind of core propositions of the company are. Right. And so there's like this little questionnaire. And yeah. then we actually scrape the website with 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 basically their external facing text, and we'll say, "Hey, this thing maps perfectly," or there's like an issue here, like you're not your your employees and your company values are not actually seeing against the language that you're preaching to your to your customers. 
Um, And so then we'll like tweak that to basically get that to be kind of together. Um, And then we have kind of a fully functioning brand story guide. And then what we can do is based off of that, um, we have certain verticals, like say, for example, Sutro is what's called a performance storyline. Right. And so we help, we're the, we're the Robin to your Batman, right? The homeowner (laughs) is, is the, is the Batman. We are the sidekick that helps him or her like be better at their job, which is managing their swimming water. Um, Nike is a prestige brand, right? I mean, you might argue that Nike yeah. actually has shoes, but I mean, overall, a shoe is kind of a shoe. Um, and like, <laughs> yeah. or like, or like, better yet, is like a Louis Vuitton bag, right? Or like a Gucci bag. Yeah. Um, there's probably like great bags, but like, if you paid an extra thousand dollars, you get a Gucci, and so that's what we would call a prestige storyline. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's nothing right or wrong with it. It's just the storyline that 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 company tells. Right. And the, the the interesting thing is when we run this brand story guide um, spider through the website, we can actually like from Nike or Gucci actually pick out and it'll it'll come off with like a 98% confidence on prestige, or Sutro comes off with like an 85% confidence on uh, performance. And so what we want to do is like I w- I need to get that 85 up to like 90 92 so that this storyline that I'm trying to pitch does come off as a performance story, um, as a story side of things. And oh, so, yeah. um, that's kind of how it works. Like no, tactics. that's great. But when you talk about that, like it's, it's one of the things like I, I help, um, like businesses with sales and like sales coaching as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things, and I, I, you know, in my book, uh, sales genius, like one of the very first chapters is like, um, like confidence and, and people, like people buy you and people like you and, and stuff like that. But, but the, the ones that I use, so, you know, while you're talking, it made a lot of sense. Like um, I, I reference like brands like Roos Chris steakhouse uh-huh. or, um or the Ritz Carlton. Yep. Right. Like, yeah, if you want to, and, and it's so funny, like you said, I was like, yeah, if you want to bed for the night, you don't have to stay at the Ritz. Yep. <laughs> right. But if you want to, but if you want to ball out and you want an experience, then you stay at the Ritz. Then you say at the Ritz, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like you're you're right. Like Motel Six, like I guess there's nothing wrong with the Motel Six, but it's just like, but the way that the but the way that the Ritz pitches it, there is something wrong with the yeah. Motel Six. <laughs> you know? and, and and the Motel Six also has a particular clientele, right? That they also sell sure. a particular story for, right? And I think both of them have their demographics that are going to buy both of those products. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just interesting, like how you how you kind of, and what else is really cool is, um, is a lot of these places, like the names are, are, are the, the company. And that's yeah. kind of cool too. Like, um, you know, Patek Philippe is yep. that's the guy's name, right? Ruth Chris, that was her name or Ruth, right? Um, you know, Ritz, that was his name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. thought, and I thought that was cool. It's like, that's their name, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of power in like, I love that, like creating a story, um, selling people you and like, is that part of, I mean, yeah, you don't have to give everything away, but but like, do you, do you kind of focus on the individual in building that story? What's up everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by sauced up salsa and sauced up salsa with so many different flavors to choose from when you add in their homemade chips. They're perfect for family nights, date nights, and really anytime you need chips and salsa. The best part, I know the owner personally, and he puts all of his heart and soul into every recipe they put out. Their locally sourced ingredients are fire roasted to perfection every time. 
making it the best salsa you'll have in your life. So with the best salsa out there, what are you waiting for? Go visit SaucedUpSalsa.com. And when you sign up for their newsletter, you'll get 10% off your order. So go visit SaucedUpSalsa.com and tell them that the Thinking Project sent you. Yeah, yeah, very much so, which is why the first part of that survey is actually interviewing the internal company people, right? And so like employees, the CEO, the CFO, those like organic people in the company collectively also make the storyline of what the company is, right? And you also want to make sure it matches with what you're actually saying. Right. Uh, And so, yeah, very much so. We do take that as a through line of like, what is the product that you're selling, right? Does the founder, is it, you know, Gucci, the guy's last name that like literally (laughs) stamped on this thing, right? Like, so very much so um, if there is a brand like that, we would obviously take that up a hundred percent into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And and I understand that, but, and that's really cool. Like it just kind of gets me all jazzed because we, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about building a story now, I feel like, in in the past and maybe it's still kind of trickled in here that story like when someone says like tell a story or like storytelling i feel like there's that's very ambiguous right now like i feel like it's a buzzword that nobody really can define like and i've tried to define it as a salesperson like when i'm like hey you need to sell with a story like i have a process of like how you can do that um and i and i can tell you guys do as well and it's just interesting because Right now, there's a lot of ambiguity around it. So I'm I'm curious what, how you would like give hard definitions to what it means to build a story. Yeah. So I think um, Packy, Packy McCormick from, um, he actually has this really great um, blog called Not Boring. Um, okay. Just wrote about a, about stories and narratives, actually, which I really like the way that, that he um, explained it. And so stories are kind of like bite-sized chunks of information, right? Think of them as like a Facebook ad or an email or an email drip series or an onboarding journey, right? Or a website, right? Like that you have on there. Those are all like miniature little stories, but in aggregate, what you've done is you've created a narrative or a narrative arc. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that you have a narrative arc, you have this kind of like, like snake, right? That like starts at the beginning and ends at the end kind of, um, and what your job is as a company in building this narrative is to guide users that you want to turn from friends into family to follow that narrative arc. And your hope is, as you look into the mirror, that you echo the same problem solution set that the user is looking for, right? Because they they come to your door knocking, saying, hey, I have a problem with my pool. I hate testing my water chemistry. Mm-hmm. First of all, you need to figure out that they're saying that. And then you need to tell them a compelling story in which the thing that you're currently doing sucks. And the thing that we're going to sell you actually like really helps your life. Um, And that's the narrative arc that you drive down with a series of small, you know, trickled stories um, that guides the user from. (laughs) I like that. And that makes, yeah, that's a great picture because I'm telling the story that and making sure that it fits like, yeah, your narrative and and what you're trying to do. I think that's what I've seen has, is missing. And while what you described very well was like, yeah, it's cool to tell a story, but telling 15 different stories doesn't really help you. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Unless, unless, but 15 stories within the same narrative, right? Like a movie, right? There's a lot of different things going on. 
but eventually we're going to get to the ultimate point and we're, but we're going to learn all these lessons throughout the way. Yep. If, if you think about it, your, your brand and your company is also a reflection of the market, right? Yeah. It's, it's a reflection of the, of, of like the market's problem set. And so <laughs> what it is like looking at like into a big massive mirror in which everybody's looking back at you with like problems and your product has to like reflect that perfectly. Um, oh yeah. To a particular like set of people, right? You can't make a product for everybody. Sure. But sure. that's, that's like the way that I think about it. And, 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 and the way that you tune that mirror, the way that you change it, the way that you change your lighting is all parts of the story and the narrative that make that reflection clearer so that your market sees the product that you're selling them at yeah. the right, at the right frequency. Ah, that's cool. I really like that. And, uh, that's why, and, that's, uh, why that's why I'm an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. No, but it works. And that's also another really cool thing that I like to, that I like to have when, when people come on is like, you know, you have this engineering background, but you could, but, but, and this creative outlet, you know what I mean? And it's just funny because like, you would never think like, you know, engineers like, well, in my case, right. Like in my industry, like engineers don't really make the best salespeople in general, right. Mm -hmm. On the curve. (laughs) You know what I mean? The, the, a good engineer and a good salesperson is an outlier. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's, but it's great when you can kind of combine these things and people can break molds and you can see outliers because what that really tells people is you don't have to fit a certain way, you know, in, into the business world to make things work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I'm an accountant too, like by trade and, and a sales guy. And again, same bell curve, right? A good yeah, accountants yeah. aren't good salespeople. Usually. <laughs> I've tried. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so it's just, it's just cool to see like the, the diversity of, of the backgrounds and like the skill sets that really drive creativity because that's what people should get. Like just start, you don't have, you can be, you know, these have these different skill sets and make it work and, and have them complement each other. Yeah, so yeah. I, I appreciate that. Um, well, I appreciate your time as well. Um, but why don't you tell everybody where they can find Sutro and, and story brand and, and all of these different things you got going on. Yeah, so Story Funnel, we're still um, in the kind of development phases, so okay. we'll see. You'll see more from that, but you could just um, go to ajaribolender.com and you'll probably find um, information on there or the entrepreneur yeah. ethos. Yeah. Uh, on Sutro, you can go to mysutro.com, m-y-s-u-t-r-o.com, um, and you can buy one today. We'll ship you a Sutro in between <laughs> three to five business days anywhere across the U.S. <laughs> oh yes, that's awesome. All right, well, thank you so much, Robbie. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.